This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. www.brfcs.com By the fans For the fans Since 1986 Welcome to BRFCS Podcast number 71 and a Happy New Year to all Rovers, wherever you are in the world. I'm Wen Waihu, the BRFCS editor. Just before Christmas, Cammy and myself were discussing the football up to the Oval win. And we were looking forward to uh, a cracking Christmas with uh, a win over Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, maybe a, a draw or hopefully a win against Birmingham. Maybe get away with a point at Leeds and perhaps keep it under 10 for Man City. With me in the virtual studio today are Chief Reporter Cammy and News Editor Paul to tell us what actually happened. Happy New Year to you, Cammy. Happy New Year, Ben. Hope you're well. Yep, very well indeed, thank you. Yep. You good, doing good. good? Yeah, been good. Off work for a couple more weeks, so uh, just relaxing and having some time with the family, really. Good. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, Paul, Happy New Year yeah. to you too. Uh, Happy New Year to you, Wen. I hope everything's well for you. Yeah, no problem at all at this end. Going well. You've been away for a while, I believe. Yeah. um, Well, today's my first day back at work for almost six weeks, which is pretty good. Um, And the main reason is that we were in in South Africa for most of December, Uh, had a family wedding to attend to. So we turned it into a a, a very long holiday, which was, you know, wonderful. Uh, Really enjoyed it. Excellent. Excellent. Whereabouts uh, were you? Well, we uh, we flew to Cape Town, uh, spent a few days around Cape Town, and then we travelled up the Eastern Cape as far as Port Elizabeth. Um, and then from there, we headed north uh, through the Transkei and through a town called Kunu, which I hope the most of our listeners will now recognise as the birthplace of Nelson Mandela. Uh, Went on up to Umtato, which is, again, uh, a very important town in the Transkei in relation to Mandela, uh, which took us then on up to the Drakensberg Mountains. And we stayed up there for a few days before heading off to Kruger National Park and uh, to the family wedding and to look at some uh, amazing wildlife. So it was uh, it was a very, very interesting trip. Really, really enjoyed it. And um, there's, a, there's a couple of little stories we had on uh, football, which which might interest everybody. Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Okay, well, I think probably the first one shows my age more than anything, but we got talking to a young man um, who was wearing a, uh, a, a T-shirt with 
Kaiser Chiefs across the front. And uh, he'd been asking where we, we came from. So, I, you know, explained that we lived in lived near Manchester in the north of England and said to him, you know, you're, you're a fan of the Kaiser Chiefs. You know, they're from, from Leeds, not very far away from us. And he sort of looked at me with a strange expression on his face. And it was at that point that it dawned on me that the Kaiser Chiefs are probably the biggest football team in South Africa. So <laughs> that, that one didn't work too well. But we eventually overcame the confusion and realized and he understood what we were talking about i think mm. and then um the other one that we had was uh, we met a young man from uh, zimbabwe who was working in south africa uh, his name was fidney and uh, it, i mean he spoke really really good english he was very very interested to talk to people from england and to, and to know a bit about england and so um we explained to him that uh, we lived about 40 kilometers north of manchester and the moment he he heard this he said well you know he said do you like football said, yeah 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 and he said well then uh, if you live so close you go to watch manchester united every week to which we said no and he explained you know we're blackburn rovers season ticket holders and uh, and have been for you know a very very long time and they're our team and and he looked at us and he said but you're so privileged stress that word privileged to live near Manchester and you could go and watch Manchester United every week. Why don't you, you know? And it was, it, he knew who Blackburn were. He had a vague idea about Rovers, but it really he had enormous difficulty in understanding why we wouldn't go to Old Trafford every week and why we would choose to go to Ewood. And I think that just, you know, shows the power and the influence and the, the penetration of, uh, you know, Premier League football right across the world. Um, which isn't necessarily a good thing from our point of view, but but that's how it is. What was the atmosphere like? Were you there uh, when Mandela died, or had you had you come back? No, no, we were there when Mandela died. Um, we actually visited Robin Island on the Tuesday, and then he died, I think, on the uh, on the Thursday. And by pure coincidence, you know, I mean, we would we we, we travelled up through the Transkei, which is his his home region, and uh, through the town where uh, you know, or well, the nearest town to where he was born. We actually drove past his mansion. Again, I mean, it's complete coincidence. Um, and it was the atmosphere was not what I expected. Actually, um, very few people talked about his death. There was a lot in the media. And, and I have to say, the media reporting was um, extremely dignified. The, 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 there was no sort of desperation to dig up somebody from somewhere who'd happened to meet Mandela one day and had a story about him. It, it was everything was done in a very, very dignified way, which. Well, I don't I mean, obviously, there are huge tributes to pay to him, um, but it was. It was just done properly. There wasn't any of this, you know, well, I met Mandela one day when he did this and gave me a chocolate or a sweetie or something like that. You know, it was it was really, really good stuff. Good, good. Well, we got a lot of that here, unfortunately, where they were desperate to get people on who'd met him yeah. and had a chocolate or whatever. That's what pretty much Sky News were doing all the time. Um, yeah, well, that's... That's why I wanted to mention it, Cammy, because uh, several yeah. of my friends had, you know, asked me about our experience while being there, and they they said that the, even the BBC they thought got the coverage pretty badly wrong because uh, it was a lot of it, from what I can gather, was just sort of inconsequential stuff, 
whereas on the South African radio and the equivalent, South African equivalent of the BBC, um, the coverage was, was fantastic. Uh, and uh, you really felt that the, the people who were talking knew and understood Mandela and the whole situation and, and had some really important things to say. And I think I learned more about him and South Africa through listening to those radio and TV programs over two or three days than, you know, I've, I've heard in all the time that I've, uh, you know, been looking at it from a distance. Amazing uh, experiences uh, in South Africa for you there. Um, just moving on, um, uh, with a, a quick look back at what you said, um, you do realise that Kaiser Chiefs is where Benny McCarthy ended up. Yes, I do now, you know. <laughs> 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 there, there are occasions when you say something and you realize you think what a complete prat i made of myself in that conversation <laughs> dear oh dear never mind uh, at least Marquina didn't didn't play for him i don't think yeah yeah that's right you know when you're relaxed and on holiday you don't always think about these things yeah. quite the way you should yeah. do <laughs> good yeah and also you're talking about the amazing uh wildlife and uh, things you've never seen before have you not been down the m65 at all uh, no not uh, no, not on safari you know i'm normally on in a coach you know <laughs> blacked out windows so <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah from the sublime to the ridiculous um we came to ewood park on the back of uh, a great away win at yeovil town and uh, we're looking forward to three four, six points over Christmas uh, with games against Sheffield Wednesday and Birmingham City. Um, I was hoping for four, four points at least uh, to put us on to 34 points at the halfway stage. And uh, we put in a substandard performance against Sheffield Wednesday from what I can gather. Um, but perhaps uh, we're a little bit unlucky with... Uh, uh, with her finishing and what have you, uh, you were both at the game, so you can put me right there. Um, what uh, what did you make of uh, the fact that we didn't score? I thought the whole performance against Sheffield Wednesday was just shoddy and inadequate. Um, we didn't really create anything at all. I can't remember their keeper having to make any sort of significant saves, and 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 the the performance for me seemed to lack belief. I think you could see the players. You can see the team playing in the in the usual pattern, um, and but it just seemed to be completely ineffective on that day. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I, I honestly can't remember a time during that game where I thought we were on top and, and that their goalkeeper was making saves. Um, I think the most disappointing thing was um, there was no plan B, and that was the thing that concerned me most during that game was Plan A wasn't working. Sheffield Wednesday been set up to frustrate us and and sort of get men behind the ball. And you could see after sort of fifteen twenty minutes what we were doing wasn't working. Um, second off, I thought the substitutions and you know they were wrong. Uh, you know, taking Kenny out the middle and putting him out wide made us even more ineffective um, than we were before. So. The most concerning thing from the Sheffield Wednesday game was that when Plan A didn't work, there didn't seem to be a Plan B. Even though Boyer made changes in the second half, um, I felt we played even worse when once the substitutions had been made. 
Yeah, I think I'd probably agree with that, um, Cammy. Did the, the, the match certainly went even further downhill in the second half, and um, uh, well, I, I, I sort of left feeling very depressed about it. I think because I had. Uh, not having had much football through December, I went along with high hopes, and I, I, I thought we really should have been, you know, up for a fairly routine win on Boxing Day. Yeah, I mean, like second half when, you know, when you're drawing against the bottom, well, a team in the bottom three, taking Gestede off, who hadn't been great, but replacing him with a defensive midfielder like Williamson, to me, looked like a negative move, and it seemed as though we were thinking, well, let's just take the point and, and if we can nick a winner, fine, but make sure we didn't lose. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I wasn't terribly impressed with Guest Eddie in that match, but um, I think what we've seen of him in the last two games, uh, particularly against Manchester City, uh, goes to prove me wrong on that one. Yeah, I was the same. At, the, at that stage, I was thinking, this is a downgraded version of Leon Best. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you would, <laughs> um, but obviously, last two games he's been really good, and I know we'll come on and talk about them. Yeah, so uh, Sheffield Wednesday nil nil. Uh, I remember going on the forums, and uh, Paul, uh, you were pretty much slating the performance actually uh, in, in the immediate a- aftermath of the game. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just thought I'd remind you of that. Well, I, I knew that you would. Um, I still feel like that about it. I think, I think Birmingham and Sheffield Wednesday are extremely disappointing. Um, uh, the, after Sheffield Wednesday game, I didn't think we looked anything like a team that got any possibility of uh, getting into the playoffs. And you know that's what I said. Um, and uh, I think the three games I've seen over the Christmas New Year period show me that. The, the, there's a lack of consistency somewhere, I think, both in the team and in the management, because Sheffield Wednesday was awful. Birmingham, which I know we'll come to it again in a, in, in a few minutes, uh, was probably just one of those days. And then City was one of the best games of football I've seen in an awful long time. Uh, and it even had me thinking about, you know, the, the way that we performed under Sunes to get promotion. I think the most disappointing thing for me after the Sheffield Wednesday game was Boyer coming out and saying about the booing. Um, I mean, I, I didn't think there was much booing during the game. Um, I think the, the crowd stuck with the team, even though we were playing very negatively in the second half, last 10, 15 minutes. I thought the crowd stuck with the team. But at the end of the game, and it happens pretty much everywhere now, if, if the result isn't what everyone expected then there's a little bit of booing at the end of the game now I don't I, I've only ever booed when Steve Keane was in charge they never booed after or or before that but I could understand why some fans were a bit disappointed that we hadn't beaten Sheffield Wednesday and you know we, we played pretty negatively in the second half but the way Boyer sort of talked to the press after the game it made and it was picked up by pretty much every outlet that it was the headlines were Blackburn Boo Boys again, and I thought that he was wrong to really bring that up in the manner that he did. And um, you know, he, he should have done it after maybe a, a day or two and maybe asked for the crowd to stick with the team, etc. That would have been a better way, knowing the history that we have with the press in terms of 
what happened with Steve Keen and the negative sort of stories that go anytime you know there's being mentioned with Rovers because the media pick up on it immediately. Yeah, I, I quite agree, uh, Cammy, because I mean th- there was a very low level of booing that say seemed to come. Uh, you know, mainly from the Blackburn end for maybe five or ten seconds, and that was it. If you know? if that, even if mm. that, it was just a little boo at the end of the game, and it's the kind of thing you see happening everywhere. Mm. Yeah, I you didn't know. think it was any big deal at all, and I was uh, I was surprised that Boyer mentioned it, and I was you know surprised by the you know the the, the overall reaction it got. Um, I noticed he's been compensating in the other direction in the last two matches. Yes, I think he's been advised by lots of people to to <laughs> try and not go down that direction if he wants to keep the mm. crowd on side. Mm. Yeah. So the performance against Sheffield Wednesday uh, was not particularly good. Uh, and then we come out uh, against Birmingham City and uh, look a bit more positive find ourselves three goals down by half-time and uh, second half uh, have a, a rousing comeback. Arguably, it could have got a point, I don't know. Um, how did you view the Birmingham game? It, like Paul said at the start, it was just one of those days. Um, I thought we dominated prior to their first goal. And then they went 1-0 up and then two bad errors and somehow we were 3-0 down at half-time and Honestly, we could have scored three or four goals in the first half. Uh, could have been up in the first five or ten minutes. We came out then really hard and strong. And, you know, we were creating chances. We were getting into the box. It was just a final ball that made me lacking a little bit in the end. But I think Birmingham probably only had about four shots all game. And, and they managed to score three goals. But a lot of it was self-inflicted. With I think definitely two goals were avoidable. Possibly all three, and you know, I was amazed that we were three nil down at half time. Quite agree, Cammy. Uh, I felt exactly the same about it. Um, it was just one of those days. You know, we've seen games that Rovers have won where they've been completely dominated, had a couple of shots on goal, scored both, and won. Uh, it, it happens to teams. Um, second half performance was was much much better, um, and I certainly went away from the game. Um, feeling more positive than I went away um, against the Sheffield Wednesday uh, after the Sheffield Wednesday match. Um, but it still can't detract from the fact that we've thrown away five points over Christmas, which would put us in sixth place and three points clear of seventh, you know? So th- those two results are very bad news, um, you know, from the league point of view. Yeah. I mean, this is what I said from the start. I, I said we wouldn't get in the top six because I didn't think we were consistent enough. We have periods where we're brilliant, but then we're liable to, to go and underperform and, or, or lose a game. And it's that consistency. If you want to be in the top six, you've got to consistently pick up points. And over the you know, season, we've, we've shown we can be brilliant, but it's just that consistency. And I think it's down to, like you said, Paul, consistency of selection hasn't been there and we've also got quite a number of young players and there seems to be sort of peaks and troughs where some sometimes they all perform and, and we do well but when they have bad games it seems to be seven or eight players have bad games at the same time and, and we end up losing those games. 
yeah, I think that's I think that's a very fair comment. Um, I think and. It's a force of circumstances that we have got so many young players and, and we could do with a bit more experience uh, just to, to, to steady the ship. Um, and it is the consistency that is going to be the key. I mean, um, I'm not a great one for statistics, but I was sent rushing to the league tables and so on after the Wednesday and Birmingham games. And I think we've averaged something like 1.3 points per game over the season. Um, and, you know, if, if you're looking for promotion, you've got to be looking for two points per game or, or more. Um, so if we're going to try and sneak into this sixth place, we've we've got to put together a very serious run of wins. Um, draws aren't going to be enough. We have to go out and, and beat teams um, and, and also to do, you know, get as many goals as possible to do something about the goal difference. Yeah, I mean, at that to be, I think we've got to win all our home games from here on, and then start carry on winning away games or picking up the odd draw here and there. But I don't, I don't think we can afford to lose maybe possibly two or three games, and that's the maximum in the, in the second half of the season. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, probably the case. Yes, I would I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually uh, looked at this over the last uh, couple of weeks. Going back over the last 10 years of the championship, uh, only on one occasion has anyone got into sixth place with less than 70 points. Uh, One season uh, when 68 points got into the playoffs. Other than that, it's always been 70 and above. And generally speaking, you need to be looking at 74 to 76 points. I was hoping for 34 points at the halfway stage, which would mean that we'd need 42 points from the second half. Now, 42 points from half a season means that we'd have to replicate the form of the top three, Leicester, uh, Burnley, QPR, in order to get into the playoffs. You need 20 victories over a season uh, to pretty much guarantee uh, the playoffs. Uh, In those 10 years, generally speaking, 18 wins will get you around about 6th place. But 20 wins uh, has guaranteed uh, a playoff place. Basically, we've got uh, 11 games left at home, uh, 11 away I think it is now. And basically we need to win 8 or 9 at home and possibly... Uh, round about four away so we need another 12 wins really and losses we can uh, Cammy's got it right there I think we we can probably afford two or three maximum four losses um, win, win, wins of course are, are the, the key um, and we, we can possibly just get in sneak in with uh, 74 points and if if there's a bit of dog eat dog from sixth downwards, from Ipswich downwards, we might just sneak in uh, under 72 points. Um, The top four, uh, with Derby having joined uh, QPR, Leicester and Burnley, top four look as though uh, they'll be uh, in the playoffs. And now Nottingham Forest are, are making a little bit of a break. If they can sustain it, then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll not catch them. So it's uh, it's all a question of whether the teams from six downwards are are taking point, enough points off each other to mean that that sixth place 
maybe has quite a, a low low points tally uh, compared with the the top five. So it's uh, it's still very much doable. But uh, second half of the season, we need to have automatic uh, promotion form basically. That's very interesting, Wayne, because um, we're averaging, I think I said, we're averaging about 1.4 points per season, uh, per game at the moment. And you're saying you think that 76 is, is enough to guarantee um, sixth place or, or as much as you can guarantee anything. Is that right? Um, yeah, n- not so much guarantee, but uh, that look- looking back over the last 10 years and looking at the table at the moment, uh, 74 to 76 points for for sixth place uh, should be enough. Um, right. And like I say, uh, s- only only once in in the last 10 <clears throat> years or so has anyone got into the playoffs with less than 70. So, right. Uh, generally speaking, uh, you're looking at uh, 70 plus and probably uh, 74 to 76. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about targets here rather than. Uh, what actually gets you into the playoffs? But uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are we what are we on now? How many points well, are we on at the moment? Well, we're on thirty four at the moment. I just you know, it's interesting. Different ways you look at it, isn't it? Because to hit that seventy six, we need to get then another forty two points, which sounds like a hell of a lot. But in actual fact, it's only a twenty percent improvement on what we're currently doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, um, seventy. Yeah. Yeah, statistically, 74 to 76, then, yeah, it's not too much of a... It's not like we're asking them to improve by 50%, 60%, are we? No, it's, we're not. It's, and, yeah. You know, if we were turning... <laughs> this is why Sheffield Wednesday and Birmingham are so important, isn't it? You know, I mean, if you turn Sheffield Wednesday into a win, if we'd won one and lost one, that wouldn't have been quite so bad because we would, uh, you know, we'd be right up there with Ipswich and Brighton. Um, yeah, it, and it, it's making sure draws become wins, you know, better yeah, to win yeah. and lose rather than draw and lose or win and draw. You, you follow me? Yeah. I mean, I think we can forget about the top five. I think they're gone and I don't think we'll catch any of the top five unless Burnley have an absolute collapse in the second half of the season. <laughs> um, so, so, so we can really, it's that sixth spot and, Ipswich and Brighton seem to be our main contenders at the mo- uh, main competition at the moment, um, with possibly one of them coming from the pack behind us. So, I, you know, I, I think we should forget about the top five for the time being, and it's that sixth spot that we've got to focus on. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I think I, we've I, got to play both Ipswich and Brighton at Ewood Park. Um, so, so those will be critical games as well. Yeah, absolutely, they will be. Um, yeah. I think you're quite right about that, Cammy. Yeah. Um, and I think Watford are the other team who I'd keep an eye on because I think they've got a very good squad if their manager can turn things around there. Mm. Um, yeah, but I mean, they are their form this season has just gone downhill the whole way, hasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but they're kind of capable of turning things around and going on, maybe winning a number of games back to back. Right. Uh, but they, they're the ones that I'd possibly fear um, more, you know, in terms of breaking from the pack behind us. 
Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I must admit they hadn't occurred to me. I've been sort of looking at myself. I've been looking, you know, Brighton, Leeds, Reading. I was thinking, you know, maybe those are teams that those are the teams that it looks like we're battling with at the moment. So it's interesting to hear you throw in Watford. What do you think about Wigan, Cammy? Do you think they might be a, a threat? Yeah, I mean, they've got, again, they've got a, a very, very good squad. And I think Rosal is an excellent manager. Uh, it depends. I've heard they're doing quite a lot of business uh, in January in terms of loan signings. I think that's the way they want to go. So, so yeah, it depends on how quickly Rosler can get the team performing to the way he wants. And, I mean, they had a fantastic win at Derby um, on New Year's Day as well. So, it looks like mm. he's getting things together there as well. Uh, but they, they've got, it just ha- depends how quickly Rosler can turn things around there. At the moment, it's the new manager bounce that they're having, but it's whether you can sustain that, you know, once that new manager bounce kind of starts wearing off. Yes. Um, but in terms of a squad, they've got, probably with QPR, they've got the best squad. Um, you know, they've retained most of their, their players from the Premier League. Manamum's come back from injury and he's, he's going to be a big player for them. So they have got a very, very good squad. It's whether, you know, it, Rosler can get them playing the way he did, say, Brentford. And, and mm. then there could be another kind of danger. Mm. Mm. I'm just browsing while we, you, you're talking there and looking at the, uh, the fixtures coming up for uh, next weekend. Um, and... Uh, it's actually a pretty big weekend when you look at some of these games because, I mean, um, you've got uh, Ipswich playing QPR. I know Derby and Leicester are playing each other fairly soon. Oh, sorry, on the Sunday, uh, on the on the Friday, I beg your pardon, the 10th, Leicester are playing Derby. Uh, you know, there's a lot of the top teams playing each other. Watford are playing Reading. That's, you know, relevant to what we've been talking about. Um, yeah. And with Rovers playing Doncaster, I mean, on the face of it, we should have a good chance of picking up some points and, and gaining a bit of ground on people because they can't all win. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's winning that home game against Doncaster. And then, like you said, there'll be teams above us either dropping points or picking up a point each. You know, so it's mm. going to be it's going to be interesting if we can. And, you know, if you've got any realistic hopes of getting up to that 74, 76 point mark, then we've got to now start beating the likes of Doncaster. Um, you know, we've dropped already points against Charlton at home and Sheffield Wednesday at home. And I've got a feeling come the end of the season, those games might be the ones that come and bite us in the ass again. Because, yeah. you know, it's those kind of teams that you've got to be beating um, if you want to have a promotion challenge. Yeah, quite agree. I absolutely agree. And then, of course, we've got Forest away coming up in uh, 10 days or so after the Doncaster game. So, you know, there's another one that's going to be really crucial, I think. Yeah, and then Derby at home after that. So, you know, it's going Is to that... be... That's on the... Uh, potentially on the FA Cup, you know, the fourth round. Um, oh, yes, the 25th. Derby, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm. Derby are out. Yep. And if we go out against City, then that game will, will go ahead and... Um, again, Forest and Derby back to back. Those aren't going to be easy. Um, so it's critical that we beat Doncaster. Mm. Yeah, and then I think really, you know, realistically, we ought to be looking to try and get four points out of Forest and Derby. I think you know we've got to be looking to, to do that if we're going to be you know challenging to try and get to that sixth spot. 
Yeah, I mean, if you take four points of Forest and and Derby, then you you'll be really one of them in as well because you're taking uh, points off a team above you as well. So that then suddenly brings them a bit closer to you as well. So mm. it's you know critical. Not only will it help to put a gap between the teams below us, but it suddenly starts bringing them teams a bit closer to you. Yeah, absolutely. You quite agree. Yeah. We've actually been uh, putting in pretty decent performances against teams that are, are above us. Uh, another example was on New Year's Day when we went to Leeds. Um, I think most people would have settled for a draw beforehand. And uh, we absolutely played them off, in, off the park in the first half, apparently. 2-0 uh, up. And uh, if it hadn't been for a, a horrendous uh, a defensive mistake, yet another defensive mistake, uh, we we could have uh, we could have costed it. Possibly uh, added another um, for a, an excellent away win at Leeds. Uh, neither of you saw the game, I don't believe, at uh, at Elland Road. And I've seen the ge- full game subsequent to that, and it's the best performance I mean I wasn't there so it's hard to but from what I've seen and I've seen the whole game it was you know fantastic performance um we should have been about four nil up in the first half and they should have been down to 10 men because we had an absolute blatant penalty sort of shout which would have meant that their defenders also sent off and and god knows how the ref didn't give that but it was two nil could have been four or five nil and them down to 10 men, and then a horrendous error by Spur more than Eastwood, um, and they were back in the game. And But even then, they had, I think they hit the post, but we had numerous other chances to make it 3 or 4-1, but that was a really, really impressive performance. And the, the, the main talking point about that as the game was starting was uh, who on earth is playing where? That, it just seemed to be a whole bunch of attackers, <laughs> including uh, Ben Ben Marshall, who in the end uh, turned up at right full back. Yeah, I mean a very attacking lineup. But um, I think I posted this beforehand. If we'd lost that game, and I think Boyer was well aware of this, if he'd lost that game, there were people in Poon who were lining up to get Boyer sacked and. I firmly believe if we had lost that game, those vultures would have swooped and I think he would have been sacked because from what I was hearing, there was a lot of people putting a lot of pressure on, on the owners um, to, to get rid of Boyer and they just needed that. If we'd lost that, they would have gone for, for the kill and I think Boyer had heard something similar and he went very, very positive. He played Gestede, Rhodes, and Campbell in the same team. Like you said, he put Marshall at right back and he was given instructions to pretty much get forward at every opportunity. And it, a lot of positive intent uh, was shown. And, and I, I think Leeds weren't expecting it. And we kind of, players sort of performed brilliantly and we got a much needed win. Yeah. And Tom Kearney was uh, brought into the centre of midfield. Um, Jason Law was out suspended. Uh, I've seen I've seen the first goal. Uh, Tom Kearney's pass through to Jordan Rose is absolutely sublime. Uh, the way he uh, disguises it, 
Um, absolutely beautiful through ball. Uh, very good timing, very good run from Jordan Rhodes, of course, and uh, very clinical finish. But uh, Tom, Tom Kearney had a, a fantastic game, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how Paul feels, but I think when he's played out wide, he's wasted. I think he's much better in the middle. Um, he doesn't tackle as much as some of other players, but he's not as good as two guy, but he can play that role. I don't think he he takes the games by the scruff of the neck that he can do. Like two guy used to do was he would take a game and completely control it. I think Kenny's a lot younger and he hasn't got that experience yet, but he can be a two guy esque kind of figure for us in the in centre midfield. Technically very, very good. Hardly ever gives the ball away. Um I like to see him a bit braver. Sometimes he takes passes it backwards or sideways but but I think creatively he's absolutely brilliant. I, I don't know how Paul feels, but I think when he goes out wide, he's a little bit wasted. Yeah, I would. I'd agree with that. I think um, the only games that I've ever sort of really been aware of him, I think, is, is when he's playing in that central role. Um, it, it, and I think he does seem to disappear from the game uh, if you, as soon as you put him out wide. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a winger is a winger, um, and. Uh, uh, you know, a central midfielder like Kearney, who's who's got the uh, ability to to control a game, or and, and certainly to deliver the sort of killer passes that we need. Um, it, that's where he should be in the middle. Uh, I don't think he's a great crosser of the ball, um, but I think he's very good at, at you know creating opportunities with good forward passes. Yeah, and when Dunny's in the same team, he's on his wavelength, and him and Dunny. Uh, have some great combination play where Dunny will come short, Kenny will pass and move off and then one, two, and then they look for Rhodes. And I think that combination play is lost when Kenny's out wide because he hasn't got the pace to beat a man. And like you said, his crossing isn't the best. So I think he's wasted out there. Mm. Mm. I think you know, so. He's, not, he's uh, not the kind of player who's going to go around two players and use blistering pace to get a pass anyone. That's not his game. His game is about coming and short, playing short balls, movement and, like you said, picking that killer ball and road, you know, does make some fantastic runs and Kenny's got the ability to kind of spot them and, and put the ball through to Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, you know, if we could see him in that central midfield role for the rest of the season, I, I think it could be a big contribution to, to making the sort of progress that we need if there's any chance of uh, hitting sixth place. And uh, that was going to be uh, his last game for the Rovers. Uh, certainly was his last game uh, as a, a lone player. And uh, fantastic news. Uh, straight after uh, the game against Leeds, he signed permanently. Um, he was uh, un- unveiled uh, in a photograph with uh, someone from uh, uh, the gardening centre, I think. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> Derek Shaw's been on to the next sale I think that jumper was uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty bad but uh, yeah um, there's uh, something to look forward to we've got a, a young a young player um, I just put a, a little mention in for uh, for Maggi Ball um, it's, uh, he was banging on about this uh, Tom, Tom Kearney is uh, uh, Scottish the, the only uh, Scot- Scottish person from Nottingham, I think people were saying, but um, yeah, he's uh, he's chosen to to play for uh, the country of his father, 
father's birth, uh, so he's a Scottish international, and uh, he's only, what, 22 years old, um, and uh, he, he looks absolutely uh, fantastic, especially in the, the middle middle of the park rather than out, out wide. Uh, so um, well done uh, to uh, everyone at the Rovers for, for, for getting him in. £500,000 is absolute bargain um, for, for that kind of player. Sorry, Paul, I cut in. Don't worry. No, all I was going to say was I think yeah, it is great news because I think people would have been very disappointed if we hadn't signed him. You know, I mean, it, it shows some intent on behalf of the owners uh, and on behalf of the football club. Um, and just mentioning the owners there, Cammy, can I just take a step back? You were talking about the need for Boyer to get a win at Leeds. Otherwise, you thought he was going to get sacked. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty co- contrary to the way that the rows have been hands off all season. Do you think it's, it's still as bad as this at the club that, you know, the manager who's done a lot to stabilise the team and stabilise the football club can be under threat after a couple of bad results? They have been on hands off and they've allowed him to run things as he wants in terms of bringing players in and bringing players out. Absolutely. They have interfered in that and they've backed him in the transfer market to, to, to some extent, but unfortunately, there are still people in and around the owners who who are advisors who don't think that, from what I've heard, who don't think that boy is the right man to take the club forward. Um, obviously, the owners gave him the job and allowed him to to run things, but as we've seen in the past, they sometimes listen to the wrong advice, and there was a great danger that that would happen again. Um, they've been promised a promotion challenge by Boyer and, and Shaw uh, this year and those people were using our league position and the top five, six pulling away and us not picking up that point, uh, the points uh, against Birmingham and Leeds to, to, to say to the owners, look, you've got to make a change now if you want to sustain this challenge to get into the playoffs um, they were using sort of those two poor performances to say look this guy isn't good enough to get results on a consistent basis to get us into the top six and we can get another experienced manager in who would be in a better position um, to to get um, the, the team into the top six I think had we lost to Leeds they would have really gone for it and said look you've played you know, Birmingham, Sheffield Wednesday who were in the bottom half and we picked up one point and now he's gone away to Leeds and lost that and you know that's not promotion form and that's not going to get into the top six and I think they may have listened to that advice if he'd lost the Leeds game as it was you know he got the win against Leeds and you know things have improved but it was touch and go and it wasn't just from Poon I was hearing it from various other journalists as well that they'd heard the same thing that um, you know it, it was it would be touch and go if he'd if he'd lost the Leeds game but at the club they are letting him run things and the Kearney thing is a great example because that deal should have been done before the, the Leeds game but the poor results against um Sheffield Wednesday in Birmingham, it put doubt in the owner's mind and Hull had been expecting a bid 
you know, we we'd made an initial bid of three hundred thousand um, before the Yeovil game. That was rejected. They'd been expecting another one close to five hundred thousand. That would have concluded the deal, but it didn't come, and it was meant to come well before the the Birmingham game. It didn't happen, and I think it was because of the poor result against um, Sheffield Wednesday. Then we lost to Birmingham. I think the owners were saying, well. Let's just wait a couple of days and see what happens. And we got the win against Leeds and they freed up the money and we concluded the Caney deal. But, you know, I think it was touch and go. Right. I'm really, I'm, I'm really, really disappointed to hear that they're still capable of being so reactionary. Um, I, you would have thought they'd have learned something by now, but clearly they haven't. I mean, they have learned a lot of lessons and I'll, I, I will credit them that they have allowed Boyer to run the footballing side of things and there have been occasions in the last six months where people have tried to get them to interfere in that side of things and and Mrs Desire said no or she's referred them those people straight to Boyer who's told them you know to, to do one basically. Um, mm. The relationship between Boyer and Mrs Desire is good. Um, she sees where he's coming from and she trusts him which is you know, a good thing and he's gone out to India and he'll be going out to India again very, very shortly because he realises the best way to deal with the owners is to talk to them direct to face-to-face really and build up that relationship with them and, and that's why he goes out to India. Um, so they have a good relationship. They are allowing him to run the football side of things. They are backing him in terms of finance. Um, you know, they, they did it to a limited extent through the summer and they've done it again with the Kearney and Gestede deals so they are backing him but they are capable at any time of making a very stupid decision because there's people in and around Venkis who unfortunately I believe don't have the best interests at the club at heart and they'd rather have their own manager or own people who sort of are connected to them to be the manager or uh, be involved in the running of the club uh, in there. And, you know, if Venkis do, there's always the danger that Venkis will listen to that one bit of bad advice and that would then put the club into a tailspin. And we've seen in the past, you know, last year, um, you know, where they got into a tailspin by appointing Berg, sacking him, Pointing Appleton, sacking him, bringing Boyer back in, and you know we nearly got relegated because they weren't able to arrest that tailspin that they got the club into, and you know they appointed Bird because they listened to one set of advice, and then when things didn't go right, they appointed Appleton because they listened to another set of advice, and then that didn't go right, and then they listened to someone else's advice and brought Boyer in. So you know it's. It's that kind of decision-making that they're capable of, which always worries me. And, and, and the potential for them to do something stupid is, is unfortunately always there. But um, at least at the moment, they are allowing Boyer to run the club, which is why we're all focusing on the football side of things. But I've said that in, in the previous podcasts, that on the pitch, it's fine. But off the pitch, they're still that circus is still there. It's just that we're not focusing focusing on it as much because 
uh, Boy has got the fans focusing their attention on what's happening on the pitch rather mm. than off it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I mean, John Williams always used to say, you know, the only thing you can do is deliver on the pitch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, you know, and, you know, when Ince was in ma- the manager and we didn't deliver on the pitch, even, you know, John was getting under pressure from the fans because mm. they were starting to focus on things like the trust and are they putting enough money into the club? Why are all these people being sold, etc., etc.? Because when things start going wrong, wrong on the pitch, then inevitably fans start looking at why and then they start looking at the stuff that's going on off the field. And, and you know, so even someone who's experienced it, John and Tom Finn, even they were getting under pressure when they got that uh, in appointment wrong because fans will start looking at stuff off the field once their focus is taken away from what's happening on the pitch. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely. I think you're, you know, quite correct with that, Cammy. Um, and there is just one point I'd like to make in relation to that. In our current circumstances, fans really can't afford to become complacent um, because results are going well on the pitch. You know, we still have to be aware of the the whole circus and the whole situation that the, the club finds itself in, uh, while acknowledging that we are getting some, you know, some decent results and and, and doing reasonably well. Yeah, I mean, I entirely agree. I think it's good that stuff is going well on the pitch and it's good that people are feeling positive about the team and the way that Boy is going about doing things. And that interview that he did with The Telegraph uh, with Henry Winter, I thought it was a brilliant piece where he talked about the history of the club and putting pictures of the old players in the changing rooms and at Brock Hall and in the tunnel. I think that's absolutely brilliant. But there is this large shadow or sorry cloud over the club in terms of what could happen if we don't go up this year and I think it's right that we do feel positive but we've got to keep in mind that things could get really bad uh, in 2014 if when it becomes apparent that we're not going up and you know that could happen March April time you know if we're not going up then come May the owners have said they are going to look at things again in May and they're going to have a meeting with, with various people from the club. And at that point, I believe they've said to people they won't make any decisions until May uh, when they have this meeting. So in May, if they decide they want out, then we could be in for some really tough times. Mm, mm, mm. OK, well, all we can do is keep our fingers crossed on that one, I suppose. Um, I, I, my own feeling is that they'll do it before the end of March, but um, I know that you know May is what they have said, and we can only go by that word. Yeah, I mean, it, I suppose it will all. If in March, you know, we absolutely no chance of going up, then you you may be right. They may be advised to do things, you know, before the twenty seventh of March. But um, well, we'll just have to see how that one develops at the moment. Yeah, I think so. Too too early to speculate on that. Now, just to go back to the football. Yes, good idea. <laughs> if you remember. Um, we've uh, just played uh, Manchester City in the third round of the FA Cup uh, down at Ewood. Um, absolutely fantastic performance. Uh, I managed to see it live. Uh, and, uh, yeah, very proud of the, the lads for putting in a, a, a very hard-working performance uh, with no little skill, I might, might add. 
and uh, I thought that they fully deserved uh, the, the draw against Man City. And I, I, th I, th I think we could easily have won that, to be honest, uh, over the 90 minutes. I know that City had uh, uh, quite a bit of possession, but uh, um, I think uh, they, they will feel they've done well just to, to get out of Ewood uh, uh, still in still in the uh, in the hat because uh, we put them under pressure, especially from uh, uh, the set pieces, uh, Spurs long throws, uh, corners, free kicks. I, I thought uh, uh, City will be pretty pretty relieved to have. Uh, to have come away with a draw, to be honest. But, um, that came on the back of uh, Tom Kearney and Rudy Gersted uh, signing uh, permanently for for the Rovers. Um, you were both down at the game. Uh, there were only uh, around about maybe 9,000 Rovers uh, fans on, on the ground, uh, but uh, it sounded a pretty pretty decent atmosphere. Although I must say that the City fans didn't make a great deal of noise, uh, considering there were uh, at least eight thousand of them. Um, what uh, what did you both make of the match uh, in terms of the the performance and uh, the atmosphere? Um, great performance. Uh, really, really enjoyed the game. I was, uh, you know, probably probably the best game I've seen this season. I think um, I was sat there and I was during the game. I was put in mind of the Sunes promotion team. I thought, yeah, you know, if you can keep playing like this, then you, you really could see this, this side going up. So it comes back to consistency. And then the other thing which I take away from it was that walking up Livesey Branch Road um, uh, after the game, there were smiles on everybody's faces. Everybody was laughing and joking. And I was sort of put, put in mind of the... Uh, the time when we qualified for uh, you know the cup final because it was you know it was a really really good atmosphere and it's amazing how a, a really good performance a great performance can you know lift everybody and the, the sort of four or five thousand Rovers fans who didn't bother to turn up for whatever reason uh, missed probably the best game of the season at Ewood Park so far. I mean, I, I agree with what Paul's saying, really. I thought it was an absolutely brilliant performance. Um, I thought we were vibrant. Our movement was brilliant. We worked unbelievably hard, closed down City whenever we could. You know, we were pushing up, we were closing them down. You know, f People like Silva were getting flustered because our work rate was phenomenal. And I thought we would tire in the last 20 minutes, but it, it was the opposite. We, we were... We were looked like the only team that was going to go on and win that game. I thought Boyer's plan A worked really well. You know, uh, was a bit surprised that Rhodes had been dropped, but Steady was brilliant in that upfront alone role. He really messed around that City's uh, sort of defence. They didn't know they couldn't cope with him with his physical presence. That worked really well. And then his plan B, you know, bringing on the likes of King and Campbell and Rhodes in, in the second half, that worked well because last 15-20 minutes he was positive, he brought those players on and we pushed forward and tried to get the winner um, and you know it was just so uplifting to see Rovers play in that manner. I was at the Arsenal game last year when we won but I felt this was a much more complete performance than that, that game and it was outside the ground, I was in the press box so I left a bit later than everyone else but I saw people, you know, in town afterwards, and I went to Asda, and there were smiles on people's faces. And and as Paul said, when your football team does well like that, it can 
uplift you know everyone and and you know the like you said the the people who were at the ground have probably missed our best performance of this season and um you know maybe even last season so it was absolutely brilliant yeah i, I think that's that's quite right cammy and um i mean i particularly impressed with guest steady uh when i saw that Rhodes wasn't in the lineup because we were a little bit late in the ground didn't know he was on the bench um i thought oh lord they don't want him cup tied this is really bad news uh so when he did come on i thought great well at least he's played in the cup um but it it just goes to show how important a strong physical presence can be up front because it 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 makes all the difference i think if the if the uh the central defenders feel under pressure physically from from the uh, strikers they're opposing yeah and the thing i noticed was that he would kept he was clever enough to keep going to a back post and getting one on one with um Gail Clichy the left back a number of occasions where the city centre backs allowed him to peel off to the back post onto Clichy and it was just a final ball that was lacking otherwise he'd have been in and you'd have fancied him you know winning a header against someone like Clichy so he was very good in his movement he worked hard and he came short and his touch was really good for a big man where he was taking it on his chest or controlling it dead and bringing the wingers in and then turning and getting into the box and causing all sorts yeah. of havoc and obviously played a huge role in in our equaliser where he rose like a salmon and <laughs> smashed that ball you know from I don't know how far out he was but that header was going at some fair knots and and you know the the keeper could it could it deal with the power in the header and and Dan was there just to sort of you know poke it into the net so yeah. I was very impressed with him mm-hmm. and mentioning the keepers there I think we've got to mention the keeper at the other end of the pitch because I was just absolutely delighted to see Paul Robinson back I mean for me he's the best goalkeeper we have at the club at the moment um it's one of those players that I feel a strong affinity with so to see him back, and I hope back for the rest of the season, uh, was another piece of very good news out of that game. Yeah, I mean, he looked a little bit rusty, but that's to be expected because he's been out for such a long time. And, you know, competitive football is, is different to playing for you know, the under-21s or behind closed doors game. He's going to need some competitive football and, uh, the, you know, he, he'll get better, I think. And I think he'll benefit from having a organized team in front of him i think previously under keen and appleton and berg often he was left really exposed because we weren't organized in front of him and and he took a lot of flack uh, but mm. you know he was having to he, he had to deal with a lot when we were organized you know he was overemployed at times you know and and people gave him a lot of flack but they didn't look at the lack of organization in front of him and you know that would dent your confidence you know if you having shots smashed at you left, right and centre every game and you're conceding two or three, but that was mainly down to the defence and midfield not being organised. But now we're much more solid unit and I think he'll benefit from that. And I noticed, the first thing I noticed was that the defenders were quite happy to play the ball back to him because they know his distribution is so good. And, mm. and you know, and I, I think he's that calming presence because they know he's, a good goalkeeper they can give the ball back to him they know his distribution is good he's a good communicator anyway so 
I think it just helps to calm down the defence even further and, and I can only see it a, a positive in being back and a few more games hopefully he can get that rustiness out of his system and you know he can be a big part in our sort of second half of the season. Yeah, well, I mean, the only way he's going to get that rid of that rustiness is if we keep playing him, and I really hope we do. Uh, and, I mean, it's, it was very interesting listening to him on Radio Rovers on the way home on uh, Saturday because he was making, maybe not quite as directly as you did, but uh, he was making similar points about, you know, what a big difference there is to the team he was playing behind on Saturday uh, compared to the one that he, you know, played behind, uh, what, uh, 14, 15 months ago, something like that. So I think he's yeah, as aware yeah. of the changes that Boyer is making and the progress that Boyer is making as uh, as anybody else. And uh, I think uh, Robbo is very keen to, to be involved again and, and, and playing for us. Yeah, and he, he talked to the written press uh, after the game. He was one of the players who came up and, and, and talked. And I, I think I tweeted from the press box when he, his one quote that I picked up straight away, he said he was the man in possession of the jersey at the moment and the other two would have to fight to get it off him. So it was good to hear that kind of positive talk from him to say, like, I've yep. got the jersey now, I've played well in this game, you two will have to fight to get it off me. And I think that was good to hear from a senior player you know, coming out and saying that, that mm. I've got the jersey now, come on, fight and get it off me if you want it. And it was good to hear that talk from him. Yeah, uh, it's, it's great great to, uh, to see Robbo back. You, you were saying there, Cammy, about uh, his uh, his authority. Um, you could hear this on on the television. You could hear the mics picking it up, but uh, his big bellowing voice coming over, shouting away, and uh, you know the likes of Tommy Spur just uh, smacking it out into touch rather than uh, faffing around with it. Uh, much much better have someone like that behind you uh, as a defender. Uh, you, you know, quite simply, you don't mess around with it. You don't try and feed it back to the goalkeeper. Just get it out into touch. When you can play it away, um, then you can do so with confidence uh, when your goalkeeper's giving you uh, that instruction as well. But uh, it, it was uh, it was really good to see him commanding uh, his his defence and uh, making sure that they cleared the lines properly. Uh, when they needed to, and when when you're up against top class players like City, you don't you don't faff around in, in and around the 18 yard area, and uh, just sort of thinking back to uh, you know the Jake Jake Keane and Scott Dan uh, uh, against Ipswich and uh, Eastwood and uh, Spur against Leeds, uh, you know th- this this type of goal uh, doesn't need to happen, and uh, hopefully uh, Robbo can uh, can make our defence. Uh, uh, even even more sound than than it has been over the last couple of months, uh, so that's uh, it's brilliant uh, all around. I think. Yeah, well, two good centre backs and a good goalkeeper goes an awful long way to help you win a football match. Absolutely, absolutely. Now um, we've had uh, quite a number of changes in tactics and personnel uh, over the last uh, uh, few games. Uh, even going to four three three, we think uh, at Leeds. But um, player form-wise, uh, Jason Law was out against Leeds, and everyone was saying, "Oh, you know, that's uh, that's brilliant to uh, to get uh, Jason Law out and get uh, Tom Kenny into the middle." And then for Man City, Jason Law comes back in, and uh, I thought he had a great performance uh, in the in the middle of the park there, uh, full of energy, and uh, also something. Uh, 
I, I thought the whole team, uh, including Jason Lowe, was uh, pinging the ball about uh, uh, really, really well with uh, a great deal of confidence. Um, first of all, Jason Law. Um, any thoughts on Jason Law's performance over, over the last uh, few games? Yeah, well, I've, I've no prefer, no problem with Jason Lowe for the whole season, frankly. Uh, I think he's a he's an underestimated player. He's managed to hold his place under several managers when the team's been up and down. Um, one little thing I noticed about him on Saturday, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it was against City after. We'd made the double substitution of bringing on Rhodes and Campbell. It was clear after one or two minutes, City suddenly started pushing through the midfield very, very well. And uh, Jason was the first to go to the manager. And I actually heard him say, look, Gaz, you know, and and was pointing at the the bloody big hole that suddenly appeared in midfield. Um, So he's not just trying to contribute, you know, to the team. He's actually looking in that instance to point out to the manager that suddenly, because we've made these changes, we've got a problem here. Get the players moved around to, to, to cover. I agree. If you ask the defenders in our team who's the most valuable player to them, they'll all say Jason Law. Because what a lot of fans don't, they, we focus on his, maybe he's not as good a passer of the ball as he should be, but a lot of people don't focus on the work that he does off the ball in terms of covering the runs of opposition midfielders, covering defenders when they're out of position, covering our full-backs when they get caught up front. He does an unbelievable amount of work off the ball for the team and it, it often goes unnoticed. But I think he's a vital cog of the way that um, Boyer wants the Rovers to play where he's the one who sits there in front of the defence and breaks up play or reads that quick break that might be happening once we've lost the ball up front. And a lot of people don't seem to notice that kind of work that he does off the ball for us. And he's a very, very underrated member of our squad, but I think he's vital to the way that Boyer wants us to play going forward. Yeah, he's, he's typical of the sort of player that you only notice when he's not playing, you know. I mean, and we've had a lot of those at Blackburn over the years. Um, uh, you know, players in that position are often underappreciated for for what they achieve, and, and when they don't play, you see that they're not playing. Another uh, talking point at uh, the City match was uh, just before half time uh, when the uh, City had scored with I think 15 seconds to go. Uh, Scott Dan lost his marker at, at the corner kick, uh, wasn't watching the ball, and uh, we conceded yeah, right on the stroke of half-time. And um, coming off the pitch, Chris Taylor and uh, Grant Hanley are uh, pushing each other around. Um, do you have any word on what that was about, Cammy? It was just a bit of handbags, uh, because they came out in the second half and they were hugging each other and walking onto the pitch. So I wouldn't... I think it's just... I, I don't mind a little bit of that because it shows that the players care about things. You know, They were gutted that they'd conceded goal and Taylor and sort of Hanley had a few words and it got a bit... few little handbags. But they came... As long as it's sorted out, you know, after the game or at half-time, then it's no problem. I, I think it shows that they actually care about things and they were disappointed that they'd conceded a, a goal so late on. And they came out second half and, and they were fine. They both came out together and I think they, they had their hands on each other's shoulder talking about something. But 
it, it's not it wasn't a major problem sort of afterwards. I think it was just the heat of the moment, but I didn't mind it too much because it showed that they did care a little bit about about things. I don't know what you made out of it, Paul. Well, I didn't see it at all, Cammy. Um, the first I've heard of it is in this conversation, but I'd agree with you. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a bit of passion amongst the players, and you know if they feel that somebody should have done a bit better, then the frustration is going to come out, and they're going to let each other know. Um, that's about being in a team, and the point is, is that you've got to understand people's frustrations and shake hands and get on with the game. Um, you know when uh, that little outburst has taken place. Yeah, I think that's the key point that it's not allowed to fest afterwards, and it and it wasn't. You know, there's a really you can see there's a really good spirit within the team because you, if there was any problems with spirit etc., then you wouldn't get the kind of performances that we had against City etc. So I don't think there's a problem with team spirit. I think it was just heat at the moment. They were both disappointed that they'd conceded a goal. Words were exchanged, little bit of handbags, no major problem. They came out yeah. second off came out together, happy as Larry, no problems. It's it's. Yeah, well, that's I much prefer that kind of passion than what we had with Danny Murphy last year where mistakes were being made and if you just shrug your shoulders and turn around and go back to half halfway line, you know, not bothered. I'd much mm. rather players, you know, feel the passion there to, to, to say, well, no, that's not acceptable and they have words and, and you know, it's not a problem. You need that sometimes within the team. Yeah, absolutely. You really do. Uh, I mean, that's what... Uh, it's a team game and uh, they've got to be supporting each other uh, and they've got to be talking to each other when it doesn't go well, as, uh, you know, or when somebody makes a mistake. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with it at all, in my view. Now, uh, Scott Dan uh, made that mistake uh, at the corner piece, uh, went 1-0 down just before half-time. But uh, he redeemed himself uh, in the second half uh, and uh, put us back into the game, uh, equalising uh, with a, a, a shot from close range. Um, Scott Dan, uh, he's um, still with us at the moment, but Cammy, you're not sure whether he'll be with us at the end of the transfer window? Yeah, um, unfortunately, this story that Alan Nixon reported about uh, Crystal Palace being interested in uh, Scott Dan. Um, I've done some checking in the last 24 hours and it, it is very serious interest in in Scott Dan. And from what I'm hearing, the player would be open to a move. And, and you know, with that in mind, I think the Rovers might be willing to do some business and the figures I'm hearing at the moment, and you know, I haven't had this confirmed, but it looks like a region, or a bid in the region of three million is going to be submitted or has already been submitted with uh, significant add-ons if um, if Dan helps to keep Palace in the Premier League uh, this season. So three million up front plus significant add-ons, and I think from what I'm hearing from particularly the Palace side, they're pretty confident that this deal can be done even before the weekend. So it looked like it's something that, that's moving very, very quickly. Um, so what I've heard is three million up front plus significant add-ons if, if he helps to keep um, uh, Palace in, in the Premier League. Um, and it looks like that deal is moving very, very quickly. And I think Alan sort of Nixon is spot on with this one. Uh, I think this one could possibly happen even before the weekend because Palace... Uh, side seem very confident that they can 
they can do something. And Pulis has been a long-time admirer of Scott Dan. He tried to sign him uh, at Stoke as part of the deal that took Nzonzi there. I think he wanted both of them. By that time, uh, we we turned him down. But he's always had a, a, a an interest in Scott Dan. And I think he knows he needs some defensive cover and... It looks like Scott Dan's the man that he's chosen uh, to to bring in, and um, from what I'm hearing, I think this deal could possibly be done well before the weekend. If if he does go, I mean, uh, we've we've no real real cover at the moment. Uh, do you think that we'd actually let him go without uh, getting someone else in beforehand? Well, we've got Kilgallen and. He did fairly well when he came into the team, so um, it, I, I think he could step in and, and do a, an adequate job with, with Grant Hanley. I don't see that as a problem, but the, the real big problem is is after that, I don't yeah. think we've got any yeah. cover. So I think they would definitely need to bring someone back in, or they may decide uh, to bring Jack O'Connell back from Rochdale. Um, I've seen O'Connell play, and I think from all the academy lads, I think this this. This kid is the real deal. I think he's going to be a fantastic defender for us and future captain. But and he's done really well at Rochdale, and apparently he was close to the man of the match uh, uh, in over the weekend when they played Leeds. Uh, from what I've heard, he, he was fantastic against Leeds. So they may either decide to bring someone in, you know, a loan signing cover, or they might decide to bring O'Connell back. But um, I'd be surprised if Boya lets Dan go without having a replacement lined up, and I think that what that's what might hold up the deal. But um, I think three million and the wages off the books, then I think they they probably could get a loan signing without too much problems. Any ideas on uh, potential loan signings? I've heard the name Dawson mentioned from West Brom. Uh, by a number of people. Uh, obviously, he went to Bolton last year, and he did a. He was fantastic for them. He's played for England at twenty ones, and he was one of the few people to come out with some credit uh, from the under twenty ones debacle uh, last summer. Um, he was one of the ones who who did really well. So he did well at Bolton, um, and he hasn't featured for West Brom this year. Um, so that one, that's one that could happen, but. Obviously, they haven't got a full-time manager in place at the moment, so they may decide to keep hold of him and let the new manager decide what what to do, uh, you know, with him in the future. So I'm not sure. Um, Dawson is the only name that I've heard mentioned, but I know Boyer has a good scouting network, and maybe he's full plan for this, and maybe he's got some other targets lined up, but. Um, at the moment, the only name I've heard from a couple of people is Dawson. But, I mean, if he's available on loan, then I suspect Bolton will also be after him. And if it's a choice between us, us and Bolton, I think Dawson might go back to Bolton because he had such a good time there last year and got a good relationship with Friedman. So, you know, there is no concrete sort of replacement lined up from what I know anyway. But, boy... He's pretty organised and he's got a good scouting network, so he may well have somebody in mind. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I just sorry, uh, when can I just comment there? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, 
whether Scott Dan goes or not, I don't know. If he does, I think he's daft, both from Rove's point of view and from the players' point of view. Um, uh, Scott Dan's been relegated with Birmingham, relegated with Rovers from the Premier League. And if he goes to Crystal Palace, very, very strong chance he's going to get relegated with Palace. And from Rovers' point of view, Hanley and Dan are a great partnership. We need a strong backbone. We just talked about having Robbo back and, you know, the, the goalkeeper and the central defenders being the backbone of the, of the side, a good base to build on. If we're going to clear out Deadwood, let's clear out the ones that aren't playing. Shift the players who aren't going to contribute to the squad and to the rest of the season. Not a player like Scott Dan. I agree. Um, I think if you'd said to me last December someone's offering two, two million for Scott Dan, I would just have take it because he wasn't performing. But in the last year, he's been absolutely brilliant. Him and Hanley have definitely got a partnership going and I think he helps to keep Hanley on a even keel. I always see him talking to Hanley, always giving him advice, always cajoling him and keeping him on an even keel because Hanley is very, very rash and very sometimes temperamental. So I think Dan plays a big role on keeping him on a very even keel and, and helping him through games. And I think we'd lose that for a start. Um, I think, you know, like Paula said, we've got a good defensive unit at the moment. So if you're going to disrupt that, then you know, you, you might go back to square one where Gil Callum comes in and he hasn't got that strong relationship with with Hanley and we start to lose that defensive solidity and if you just got Robbo back and he's you know he's a bit rusty then th- you know things could go pear shaped very quickly uh, with, with the defence so I I am surprised but if the player said to 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 the manager that he wants to leave and he wants to go to Palace then I suspect they might say, well, you know, we'll stand in your way and we'll take the money. So it's a difficult one. It just depends on the player. Um, I think he maybe maybe wants to go and wants to give it a go at Palace playing the Premier League again. I think he might be open to that. So it's a difficult one um, in terms of what the player wants. If he says, no, I want to go, then it puts uh, a boy into a difficult situation because he might not want to keep an unhappy player there. Whereas... Rhodes has always said he's not bothered. He'd he'd quite happy stay at Rovers if you know he he he's not he's mm. focused on playing for the team and not bothered about transfers. If if a bid comes in and Rovers accept it, then he'll think about it. But if Dan has said to Boyer that he'd like to go to Palace if they put a a reasonable bid in, then they might decide. Well, no point keeping a player and a captain in particular who doesn't want to be here. Yeah, I, I can see that, and I, I, I would agree. We don't want to keep unhappy players. Um, so if it is the case that Dan says he wants to go, fine. Um, I think from Scott Dan's point of view, he's probably still earning Premier League wages. Uh, so why would you want to give up Premier League wages and potentially go and be relegated from the Premier League for the third time in four seasons, I think? Yeah, yeah well, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll stick you a big risk because already... Loads of media articles I've seen is they've said Dan's been relegated twice. You know, if he goes there and gets relegated again, then he, he'll like, get this reputation of being someone who joins clubs and they get relegated. So he's exactly. taking a bit yeah. of a risk uh, himself, but uh, maybe he thinks Pulis can keep them up. 
you know, they've had some good results recently. But um, he's the kind of defender that Pulis likes because that long ball, his distribution is quite good for a for a centre off. And if he wants to be sticking long balls up to Chamak, then Dan is pretty good at yep. at doing that kind of thing. So I can see why Pulis wa- wants him. Mm. Yeah, I, I, he'd, I agree. He he'd fit into that style of play that he wants. Yeah, I, I can see that, and I, I I just I'll be disappointed if Dan leaves. Um, I think his his contribution to the team is underrated, um, not just as a footballer, but in, in certainly in terms of you know bringing some experience to the younger players and keeping them under control. Uh, and uh, if you know if you're watching the game and watching the players' reaction. Dan is very often the one who's having a word on the pitch, not just with Hanley, but you know, with a number of the players, and just saying, you know, okay, calm it down, do this, do that, and and so on. And we need that in yeah. the young team. Very important. Very important. Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, Rhodes there, Cammy. Um, the suggestion uh, uh, for, from the commentators, uh, and also Paul was mentioning this uh, during the City match was that perhaps he was uh, uh, about to be on his way and they didn't want to risk him being cup-tied, therefore he was on the bench. Uh, obviously, he came on for the last 10 minutes or whatever. Um, is, I mean, is this cup-tying thing uh, a red herring anyway? Um, what, uh, what are the possibilities for him uh, um, being subject to a, a, an offer? First of all, the cup tying thing was it wasn't it was tactical. He played a lot of games, and boy felt that one it was tactical. He wanted to mess around the city defense by having someone more physical up there, but he didn't want to expose Rovers too much in the first half by having two strikers. So, so that's why he he kind of moved Rhodes to the bench, and and that worked. So it was nothing to do with cup tying him and. You know, it was good that he came on the last twenty minutes, just so that it proved to everyone that you know it was nothing to do with a bid being in or or wanting to protect him from being cup tied. So that was absolute nonsense from 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 the commentators that were suggesting that. But um, interestingly, um, it looks like Nottingham Forest of all people are interested in him. Um, Billy Davis has told the owner that if he can get um, Rhodes, then that would make them very serious title contenders. Um, they're owned by a rich Kuwaiti, and um, from from what he was discussed yesterday um, at Forest, in particularly in the corporate areas, it looks like um, he's not bulking at a twelve million price tag for Rhodes, and um, there seems to be a lot of talk coming out of. Uh, Forest that there potentially is a bid about to come in, a substantial bid, maybe even up to twelve million, because apparently that's what they've been quoted for roads, and um, it'll be interesting to see if a twelve million pound bid comes in for him, whether we accept it or not. Um, and if we accept it, um, I think if once a bid is accepted, then I think. Lords would probably go because if your club wants to sell you, then you know there's no point sort of staying there. So I don't think he'll push for a move, particularly not to another Championship club. And even if a Premier League club, he seems pretty okay with staying at Rovers for at least 
the rest of this season, see what happens in the summer. But if Forest do make this mega offer and Rovers accept it, um, I'd be interested to see what Rhodes does. But um, it looks like they are going to test the water and maybe even put in quite a big bid. And I think if something between 10 and 12 million comes in, I think Rovers may decide to cash in. Cammy, you used a word there that really made my uh, really made me pick up on what you were saying. You said quoted; they've been quoted twelve million. That yes. sort of implies that Rovers have said to them, "If you want him, it's going to cost you twelve million." Or his agent has told him that this is what it's going to cost you if you want okay. to get Rovers interested. But that's I know someone that. Nottingham really well is a is a good friend of mine and he he works at Forest and that's why I'm pretty confident that this information is correct. His words to me were that they've been quoted a figure of around about twelve million pounds. So mm. now that's not to say it's come direct from Rovers. Um, it may have come from Rhodes' agent who would know what the ballpark valuation Rovers have of of Rhodes. It may well have just come from his agent, but it could quite easily have come from someone like Ewood. You know, he's quirky. He's got a lot of... He runs a refrigeration company. He's got a lot of links to India. So he may well have contacted the owners direct and even they could have told him that it's 12 yeah. millions. So, yeah. so you know, they've, someone has told Forrest this figure of 12 million pounds and they haven't bulked at that. So, you know, they made this... They own a very rich and he could think well if 12 million gets us into the Premier League then it's a risk worth taking because you know that investment could turn into a 120 million pound you know mm. sort of <laughs> thing if you get into the Premier League next season so mm. yeah, so yeah, and, yeah. and I don't think Rhodes will push for a move I he's one of the very few footballers that I've met and seen <clears> over the last 10 years who's very down to earth and if he says something he kind of sticks to it and he's told Rovers that he won't push for a move even if a Premier League club comes in for him he will not hand in a transfer request or push for a move he quite likes that he would he likes working under Gary Boyer he was a bit disillusioned last summer when we made all these changes but he's seen the progress the club has made under Boyer and he will not push for a move this season um, even if a Premier League club comes in for him so it's all down to Rovers. If we accept a bid, then then he'd probably go because if you know the club accepts a bid, then it's saying, well, we're, we're happy to cash in on you, but he will not push for a move. So this will be all down to Rovers if we decide to cash in, in, him, in on him or not. OK. Well, fingers crossed then, I suppose. Yeah. What do you think, 12 million? If you were there, Paul... Nottingham Forest rang you up today and said, we'll give you 12 million for Rhodes. What would you do? What would I do? I think, in all honesty, I'd take the money. Now you've got me on tape, haven't you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I mean... I'd, I'd, be, I'd be very tempted as well. I, I mean, I 12 million think... is a heck of a lot of money for, for a player, you know. But I, I just think his goal... I mean... I know he has weaknesses in his game and that gets highlighted a lot, but it's very, very hard to find such a regular goal scorer. Um, yeah, you know, he's scored 12 million. 50% of our... 50% so, of our goals. Yeah, 50% yeah. of our goals 
since he's joined. And that's a heck of a lot of goals to get to replace, you know, if, uh, if, if you were to sell him. I think it's really difficult. I mean, I, I, I think the, the big problem is we don't play to his strengths. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, th- there's a gap of 30 yards between Rhodes and the midfield. Now, that's not the player's fault. You know, that, that's a, a team selection and a tactics uh, thing. Um, £12 million for him. Oh, God. It's so much money. Um, and if it was given to Boyer to strengthen the team, I think we might get more than £12 million worth of benefit out of it. So that would have to be the crucial thing, I think. You know, um, not backtracking here, but give Boyer £12 million to spend to strengthen that football team. It might do us an awful lot of good in the next four to five months. I don't think you would get that £12 million. I think you would get maybe £4 million out of that. Plus, we've got to pay Huddersfield a sell-on, and I don't know how much that is, but he would probably only get three or four million of that. And I suspect he would spend all of that, or the majority of it, getting in Nahil Wells from Bradford. Um, he's somebody who Rovers has scouted four times in the last sort of five or six weeks. So there's a definite interest there. But mm. I think if, if Lords were sold, you'd probably get three or four million maximum out of it. Um, The rest will be used to balance the operating costs because of the financial fair play and pay Huddersfield whatever they do in terms of a sell-on. And and he'd get three or four million and that would probably be enough uh, to get Nahil Wells in from from Bradford. Um, Because he's into the last 18 months of his contract. So, you know, it, it won't be mega bucks that, you know, they won't ask eight million for him. Uh, you're probably mm. getting for three or four million tops, and mm. and he's someone we've scouted four, five times in the last uh, month or so. So, I think that's the direction that Boyer would look in in terms of a replacement. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, it is tough, isn't it? I mean, you know, twelve million pounds the state rovers are in is an awful lot of money, and and very much money that we need uh, on the other hand Rhodes contributes so many goals to the team but in some people's opinion not a lot else um, and I thought that was actually quite noticeable on Saturday against Manchester City you know Guest Eddie was really getting amongst them his physical presence much much stronger than Rhodes um, and you know perhaps that can make the difference um, uh, I don't know uh, I think they'll end up taking the money. If there's £12 million or more available, I think the club will take the money. I think so as well. I think they'll, it'll be too much, considering the position we're in financially, for them to say no to, to that kind mm. of money. Um, mm. I think um, you know, that would go a long way to bringing down the operating costs, etc., and still leave enough money to give some back to, to Boyer to uh, bring a new player in. Yeah, I think that's probably what will happen. Mm. It's my my view, and uh, it's not not worth much in one sense. But uh, I'd I keep uh, I keep Rhodes uh, twelve million if uh, if it's if it's a case of uh, financially going bust or 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 staying afloat. Fair enough, but otherwise, 
Uh, we've just got Gested in. Um, we really need to make use of his physical presence. Um, let him occupy the back, uh, the back four. And uh, Jordan Rose can exploit the space that uh, he'll create. Uh, I think uh, we, you know, as, as we've gone after Birmingham in the second half, we've uh, gone after Leeds, and uh, we even went after City in the last 15 minutes. We should just uh, go, go for the jugular in, in the championship. Uh, there's no one really to fear. Uh, just go for the jugular and, uh, uh, you know, J- Jordan will have a field day, I think, uh, if he's playing up front with uh, Gisteddy. Not, I mean, Gisteddy was, what, playing off roads, um, was it the Wednesday match? Um, you know, Gisteddy should be leading the line and uh, yeah. putting himself about and uh, Jordan should be uh, looking for the little runs and uh, and uh, looking for Tom Kearney's uh, little through balls and what have you. Uh, mm. Just go for the juggler and uh, uh, rip, rip this division apart. Basically, that's that's my view. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go for that one. I'm quite <laughs> happy if we're going to go out there and rip the division apart. Yep, to, uh, yeah, we'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> you can ring Gary up, eh? Let him know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that, that that's the one thing. I listened to the Sheffield Wednesday match uh, on the uh, Rovers player, and uh, my concentration was. Uh, almost as poor as the players, I think. Um, I, I just never thought at any time that anything was actually going to happen. And, uh, if, I mean, you know, you, you can only beat uh, what's put out in front of you. And uh, uh, fair enough, uh, you, you, can't, uh, you can't expect to turn up and, uh, and, and get three points just because the team's below you or even in the bottom three of Sheffield Wednesday were. But, I mean... You've just you've just got to uh, set yourself up to to go for a win at home, whoever the opposition is, and uh, especially against the more mediocre teams, you you've just got to go for them. And uh, I I, th- I think um, in a sense it it could be that the Ipswich games and the Sheffield Wednesday games have um, have, have sparked a change at uh, you know in terms of the psychology down at uh, Ewood. Um, if we go after teams in this division with the with the talent we have, I'm not, I'm not saying the Premier League uh, standard, but with the talent they have, uh, you know, th- there's nothing to fear, and we we, we should be able to uh, uh, to hit those play- playoff positions uh, uh, you know, with, with with what we've got. Um, I'm I'm just hoping that we've got Burnley in the uh, playoff uh, final. So I'll, I'll come back for that one. I tell you. <laughs> I bet the. Right, well, I tell you what. I bet the Met Police aren't hoping we get Burnley in the in the. <laughs> I think they'd have to give us separate motorways to get down there or something because. <laughs> I, tell you what, that's the was, ultimate nightmare for any police force. I'm telling you now will be a Burnley Blackburn uh, playoff final because, well, you've seen the lengths they go to just to get us from here to Burnley and back. Uh, yeah. Can't close the M6 though, can they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they might have to because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I really suppose there were eighteen hundred fans from Burnley down at Southampton at the weekend. I think they'd all gone gone to. I think they're all uh, family members of uh, Rodriguez, actually. But, um, <laughs> I bet they're still all down there. They probably can't I, get back now. Have you seen where Rodriguez scored the goal? I thought he'd gone bursting into tears. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it, but. Uh, 
Uh, I've never seen someone so gutted to score. Well, I have when Jamie Redknapp scored against us when we won the championship, but that came a very close second. Oh dear, oh dear. Anyway, um, back to the real world. Um, We're talking about Deadwood before. Um, Leon Best, is there any chance that he'll still be with us at the end of the window, Cammy? Um, he's, well, he's on his way out. I mean, there's been a big falling out between him, him and the manager. Um, he's nowhere near, anywhere near the first team or the squad or anything like that. Um, I think he met a fan who, the other day and he, someone asked him why he wasn't playing and he said he was waiting for, allegedly he was waiting for the manager to be sacked. So that just, if that's true, then it shows, uh, the, the level to which the relationship between him and Boyer is completely broken down. Um, Boyer's trying to get rid of him. He's been offered on a free transfer to anyone who's interested. Um, I think they're going to wait until the end of the transfer window and see if we can get rid of him. We might even accept someone taking him on free and paying 50% of his wages and we pay 50% for the remainder of his contract. Um, if there's no takers at the end of the transfer window, then early February, I can think. I think we'll try and come to a mutual termination of his contract. But at the moment, he, if we were to mutually terminate his contract, he, he wants a four million pound payoff because of the contract he's on. But um, you know, Rovers may decide to see see if they can get rid of him on a free and pay part of his wages. If not trying to cope to some kind of um, agreement with him, you know, maybe two million or something, I don't know. But at the moment, four million's been demanded. Well, you know, they're not going to do that. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that one. Yeah. So, uh... yeah. Yeah, so, like, you know, I think big effort to get best out of the club as soon as possible. But if we don't manage it in the transfer window, then early February, I can see... Uh, us coming to some kind of arrangement to terminate his contract. Yeah. yeah. The problem we've got is other clubs will probably know we're desperate to get rid of him as well. So they may decide to wait um, and let us terminate his contract and then pick him up, you know, on on a a freebie deal and maybe on less wages. But you you just don't know. Um, Mm. You know, if if we're prepared to pay 50% of his wages or something, then... Uh, someone might take him on. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, DJ Campbell, um, obviously um, out of uh, uh, out of the squad a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he then came in for the Leeds match, um, played up front in a, a front three, uh, did uh, very well apparently, and uh, then he came on against uh, Man City and looked very lively in the last ten minutes. Um, do you think uh, DJ's uh, got uh, got a future still at the Rovers? Yeah, well, official line is, and I talked to to, to uh, Rovers uh, just this last week, and they've said, look, he's not been charged with anything. There's these allegations, and he's denied them. He's denied it to the club, and he's you know the police have talked to him. He's helped them with the inquiries, and he's been released on bail. There's been no charges laid against him, and at the moment, they're saying, well, 
you know, there's nothing to discuss because the player said it's not true. The police have talked to him and he's helped them with the inquiries, but there's been no charges levied against him. So until that changes, you know, they he's part of the squad and they gotta, <clears throat> you know, use him. And he's to be fair to him, he was very good against Leeds and came on and made a pretty positive impact against City. So. So club is saying, well, there's nothing to talk about at the moment because all it is is some allegations and the players denied him and he's denied it to the police and, uh, you know, he's not been charged with anything. So he's part of the squad. Um, yeah. They were saying they don't know what else, you know, they can do because players saying it's not true and the police haven't charged him with anything. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And the reaction from... I th- Thought he might, you know, against Leeds, reaction from fans wasn't wasn't at all negative from from what I could see. And same again uh, when he came on against City, I heard a couple of little boos from where I was sat in the press box. But you know, there was no real negative reaction to him. Paul, where, where were you? Did you hear anything about when he came on? No, I didn't hear anything. All I heard was a little chance of something along, you know, DJ Scotty bets when he wants, you know. <laughs> Which I sort of, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I took it as in good humour. Um, uh, I agree with everything you said, uh, you know, innocent till proven guilty and all that type of thing. Um, yeah, why shouldn't he stay if he's playing well, if we need a strikers for the side, if, say, Rhodes was to go then I don't see any reason why we should try to get rid of him. There's other players I would get rid of first, if we could. Examples? Uh, Etutu, uh, what's his name? Etutu. Etutu? Yeah. Um, the, the footballer. The footballer, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nunes, he's not there. Is he still there? He's still there, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, so there's a couple there that you get rid of first of all, I think. If we're talking about clearing out Deadwood. Yeah. Uh, is uh, Bruno Ribeira still around? He's... He's gone back to Brazil. Uh, just the last week it was confirmed he's left the club and he's gone back. Right. Really? I didn't know he was still there. Gosh. Oh, I mean... he was there, yeah. But he's <laughs> finally gone back to Brazil. Back to his uh, back to his level, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean, the other... I've uh, got nothing against him at all, um, but I just wonder about Olsen. Do you think maybe he'd be moving on? Yeah, I think he might end up back in... Scandinavia somewhere or a lower Turkish division club. I don't think he's going to be part of the clans anyway. Nice enough lad, but nowhere near good enough to be even playing at championship level, to be honest. They might loan him out somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Are are there any of the other remaining Portugueses? I think they're still part of the club, but they're out on loan. So, you know, like um, Rosado playing for Benfica B at the moment. Yeah. He's out on loan there, so uh, could return at the end of the season. Edinho Juniors uh, playing for a non-league club, I think. So they're still part of the club, but on loan at various places. And talking about loans, uh, Good Willie, um, he's uh, still up in uh, Dundee at the moment. Uh, is he going to be coming back? His his loan finished around about second of January, didn't it? Yeah, I think he's. I don't think he's on a season-long loan, so I need to check that one. But I think he should be back soon if he's not on a season-long loan, and and there's been nothing announced about an extension to that. So, um, and he hasn't been pulling up any trees up there anyway. So I'd expect him back. 
and Bradley O's back. He's been back for a while. He's had an injury, but officially his loan ended with uh, uh, after the sort of second of January. So he's back at the club as well. Mm. I presume that uh, one of the priorities is to cut the wage bill and and get uh, yeah. you know. Not, 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 not to be disrespectful of dead. You know, talk about Deadwood, but you know, just from a practical point of view, to uh, uh, you know, those who aren't going to be directly uh, involved in the first team, first team squad, uh, that uh, you know, they're, they're released. Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to try and get rid of as many as of these fringe players as possible, and if it means uh, subsidising some of their wages, then. They'll do that, you know. If you save, even if you're saying saving ten grand on someone, it's still you know ten thousand pounds. So, so they may subsidise some of the wages, but um, I think they're going to try and get rid of as many of these as possible now in this window. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's necessary, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, the yeah, the transfer window is uh, only a week old. It's um, yeah, we've we've already got uh, Tom Kearney in and Rudy Gestedi in uh, as permanent uh, members of the football club. Um, we're hopefully going to ho- hold on to Jordan Rhodes at least, and uh, uh, both of you want to hold on to Scott Down as well. Um, now, incomings, the official line is that without... Uh, uh, getting some money in from uh, a sale uh, that there won't be anything coming in. Uh, Cammy, do, do you have any final word on on that? Yeah, and that's the that that's the the line I'm hearing from Ewood and Pune that Kenny and Gustedi Gustedi was almost a freebie anyway, but those two were the the only incoming that are going to be coming into the club, subject to any sales. So if we get rid of a few players, then there might be some leeway in the budget to bring a couple of players in. But other than that, there ain't going to be anyone else coming in unless we get rid of the fringe players or if we're forced to sell someone like Dan or Rhodes, then they'd obviously have to, to use some of that money to bring in another replacement. But um, you know, we, it's more about trimming the squad now. And then once we've done the trimming, if there's some leeway to bring in a player or two, then, then they'll look to do it. Otherwise, we'll go with what we've got, um, subject to not losing Dan or, or Rhodes or someone like a first-team player. Yeah, good. And I think that's entirely the correct thing because we have got quite a big squad now, so that needs to be brought under control and then see what's, you know... That we could cost-cut in a positive way by getting rid of a lot of these fringe players who are not going to be anywhere near the first team squad anytime soon. So if we can get rid of them, that would bring down costs a little bit and and still keep us a strong ele- well a strong sixteen seventeen man squad, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, uh, with with quality uh, rather than uh, just numbers. I think yeah. Yeah, yeah. Much better. Good. Well. Uh, Coming up, we've got uh, Doncaster at home um, at the weekend, uh, followed by uh, a visit to Nottingham Forest uh, the weekend after. Uh, we've also got a replay against Manchester City uh, in uh, during that week. Uh, I think uh, Wednesday will it be? 
It is the Wednesday. 15th yes. of January. It's the yeah, Wednesday, 15th, isn't it? It's going to be a big earner, that. Massive earner for the club because I think it's 50-50 uh, gate receipts. Yeah. And it's likely to be televised. I think it's one of the, the, the better ties, so highly likely to be televised. So I think that's 100, 120,000 to each club. So this you know, combination, these two matches have been a massive earner for the club. Unexpectedly massive earner. It's uh, nearly paying for Tom Kearney, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Not far off. Not far off, yeah. Uh, good, good. And uh, yeah, as as we mentioned earlier, uh, we we follow up uh, the Forest match uh, with uh, the visit of Derby County uh, to uh, Ewood Park on the twenty fifth. So uh, we've got uh, some points that we can put up on the board uh, before the end of January, and uh, uh, I don't hold out too much hope for uh, getting into the fourth round of the FA Cup. But uh, uh, if we we do, yeah. If we do, then that Derby game will be off and it'll be a home tie against either Bristol City or Watford. It's wishful thinking, isn't it? <laughs> I know, I know. Well, let's think positive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, I was just thinking of uh, keeping it respectable, actually, at City. But uh, there you go. Putting well, you never know. That's what everybody thought before the home game. Yes. Yeah, I think um, that was fair you... enough, though, with uh, City's away form... Um, and the fact that they were going to be changing their team quite so much. I thought we had a, I think they, a reasonable chance of putting a decent uh, performance in. I think they're going to have to change their team when they play in the replay because they've got some tough Premier League games. They've got the semi-final of the call, uh, whatever cup it's known as, the League Cup um, as well. So I don't think they'll be playing the strongest eleven in that replay. So you, know, you never know. I think we'll just go and... I think they just enjoyed Saturday the players, and if they go with that same attitude and mm. and give it hundred hundred percent, you never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I'm really looking forward to it. I just wish they'd announce the ticket details because I've been hovering over the website all the way through this discussion. <laughs> yeah, I, I I checked that one. Both the clubs have to agree on a pricing structure, and from, from what I'm told, Rovers want a slightly cheaper pricing structure to what City are suggesting. So there's a bit of horse trading going on there. But mm-hmm. Rovers would prefer a slightly cheaper structure, which would help you know, more of our fans to go down there. And City just want to charge a bit more than what Rovers are suggesting. So I think just a little bit of negotiation going on. But both clubs have to agree on the pricing structure before uh, it can be released because of the joint sort of gate receipts for that game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we've got a really exciting sort of three weeks coming up, actually, when you look at it. I mean, Doncaster on Saturday, City, uh, you know, on the Wednesday, and then uh, potentially Derby or another cup tie on the 25th, and then Blackpool at home on the 1st of February. So, you know, there's a lot coming up in the next three weeks or so. Definitely, yeah. Looking forward to it. Grand. So, thank you ever so much uh, to both of you for, for joining us. Um, it's uh, the first podcast of uh, 2014. Um, thanks very much to you, Cammy. Yeah, thank you, uh, Ren and Paul. Really enjoyed that. Good, yeah. And uh, yeah, Paul, thanks for coming on, taking time out. Oh, delighted to do so, Wen, and it's great to speak to you again, Cammy. It's, it's several months, I think, since we had a chat, so I've really enjoyed today. Yeah, that's Excellent. Good. Good. Well, we hope everyone out there has uh, also enjoyed listening in. 
wherever you are in the world. We hope you do take good care. And uh, thank you ever so much for listening in. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count, guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert. Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.